0: My emphasis has always been on the eternal. Now, as a result, sometimes I get some criticism for that. Because as I say that there are a lot of people who want to know about how to have a better Monday or a better week. And that's why they like various pastors that they do. So today, if you're one of those people who want to have a better Monday or week or month, Pay special attention to my introductory opening to this message. Throughout our lives and each day, we are presented with and give and ask questions. Some questions are kind of for a temporary situation, other questions are a little longer term and some questions have to do with the eternal consequences. So just to kind of go through it, so for instance, One question that we get very frequently uh, that's kind of a part of our culture is, how are you doing? Now, the typical and correct response, because the person asking it really doesn't want to know how you're doing. It's just kind of how we start our conversations and how. And so the the accepted and expected answer is fine or okay. Every once in a while, you'll get great. Well, that makes the person feel a little uncomfortable because since that's kind of above and beyond what people are expecting, they're almost having to feel like, well, then they got to say, well, what makes the day great? Or if you say terrible or I'm not doing well, that makes the person uncomfortable because they don't really want to know. They're just starting to meet you and that's all. And so um, that's just kind of where we are. the The next question you get, a lot if you're particularly if you're a parent are we there yet and you'll hear that you know are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet or other questions especially if you're uh, a sports fanatic who do you think will win or when you go to the store how much does it cost and the typical answer is if you have to ask you can't afford it but here's some advice don't ask negative questions. Well, what do you mean by a negative question? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say a husband and a wife, before they leave to go to work, say one of the two will decide, I'll go to the store and buy coffee. And so you go off to work and you come back. And the negative question is, you didn't buy the coffee, did you? See, that's a bad question. Because first off, if the person actually bought the coffee, they feel agitated because you assumed they weren't going to do it. Or if they didn't do it, they're going to be aggravated because now they're defensive. So don't ask negative questions. Just ask, did you buy the coffee? Another one you get, especially if you're younger, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, we ask that question wrongly. Because the correct answer, in my opinion, would be if someone were to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You would say, I want to be a wise, kind, gentle disciple of Jesus. But that's not really what the question is. The question is, what do you want to do when you grow up? And so people will say, doctor, lawyer, baker, welder, engineer, scientist, whatever it is that they want to be. The next thing, especially if you have teenagers or you're going to have teenagers, too often we ask closed-ended questions. For instance, how was school today? And the typical response is fine. And they go off to their room. When it comes to teenagers or people that you want to develop a relationship with, you need to learn to ask open-ended questions. That takes a little more time. That takes a little more thought. Takes a little more deliberation. But by doing that, it requires them to say more than fine. Then there are life-impacting questions. A question like, will you marry me? The answer to that or the asking of that question will impact your life. Because if you say yes and you ask the person, that person is now going to be your spouse and they're going to be impactful of your life. Jesus is going to ask his disciples two questions. I'm going to add in this message, ask you two questions. One of the questions I'm going to ask is the same question that Jesus asked, and this is a a question that has eternal significance. It's more than how are you doing. It's more than are we there yet. It's more than a negative question. It's more than a life impacting question. It is a eternal life impacting question. And so in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he asked them the question now, the reason that these people have these answers is that one, John the Baptist was beheaded. John the Baptist died. So they're thinking that John the Baptist, through Jesus, was resurrected. Other people are saying, well, you're Elijah, because Elijah was to come before the Messiah. And then say, well, others perhaps say you're Jeremiah because he was a prophet or other prophets. And they weren't sure, but there was lots of opinions as to who Jesus is and was. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter immediately responds to the question that he asked all the disciples with, if you will, the correct answer, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets the answer correct, if you will. So my first question to you is, who do you say that Jesus is? Now, some in our culture say, well, I'm not even sure that Jesus was a real person. That basically, when I hear his name, it's a response in either shock or anger as an expletive, a curse word. And that's the only reference that we ever hear of Jesus the Christ. Others will say, "As kind of here, he was a prophet. The problem with answering he was a prophet, what was it that he said God said? He said, I am the Son of God. He said that he would be returning as the king of kings and lord of lords. So if he's a prophet, he's more than that. Others say he's a good teacher. Problem with that is he taught we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love our enemy. If he's a good teacher, nobody seems to take up his good teaching. Because even believers don't want to love people that don't like them. We find it hard to follow his teachings. And if he is a good teacher, some of the things that he taught was, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the resurrection. The only way to get to God is through him if he's a good teacher his teaching is he is the only way to the god there are those who say you know i don't know i don't care But I suspect most of us here today would answer the question, He is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So, my next question is so what? All too often, His disciples. Or those who claim to be His disciples will quickly cry out that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then their lives have no impact on that statement. Their life is just the same as the people who look at Jesus as just another expletive. You couldn't tell one person from another by their actions. People will say what they say is important to them. But in reality, what's important to you is what you do. You can say that you love your spouse. But if you don't show it, then do you really love your spouse? And if you say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then do you live your life as if he actually is? Or you say, well, I have my fire insurance so I can do whatever I want to do. So again, I ask, so what? Jesus answers Peter's statement by saying this. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven... This is an amazing statement, and one that is true, but one that we don't pay much attention to. Because let's take a real quick look at Peter. Jesus called Peter as a disciple, who will later become an apostle. Peter was there when Jesus turned water into wine. Peter was there when he healed many people of various diseases. Peter was there when he raised several people from the dead. Peter was there when he saw Jesus heal people with issues of blood. He saw people healed who had disabilities. He saw people healed who had demon possession. All of these things, he saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus rebuke the wind and the sea, and they became immediately still. In all those instances, Jesus could have said, you finally figured out by all that I have done and said that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. But he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you because it was revealed to you by my father who is in heaven. Oftentimes we just don't understand why people just don't get it. We hear people say, well, Jesus is just a myth, even though the fact is, History reveals him in Pliny and in uh, Josephus and other writings that Jesus was a person who walked on this earth. And they go to church, and they hear messages and, and there are times when we hear a message and we get all fired up within our spirit. We just don't understand why people don't accept him. It's not because it wasn't laid out clearly. It wasn't because there wasn't good preaching. It wasn't because there wasn't good Bible study. It was because the Father had not revealed it to them. As I tell you over and over, it is our obligation to communicate the good news. It is God the Father through God the Holy Spirit to draw people to Him. It's not our job to win them. It is our job to communicate the gospel. The flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I want to stop there. Our Catholic friends have misinterpreted this passage. You see, Peter means little stone. Jesus is saying, You are Peter, little stone, but upon this rock. And I don't think he was pointing at Peter, the little stone. He was pointing at himself and the statement that he is Jesus, the son of God. Upon that faith statement, he will build his church. And nothing will overcome it. It may not be as large as we'd like. There might, might not be as many people in it as we'd like. But the fact is, even hell cannot overcome it. It is upon this I will build my church. This rock of faith. And then our Catholic friends misinterpret this verse. Verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on the earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, People misread this, not only who are our Catholic friends, but others, because they think, well, will we speak and say and whatever, will tie things up or loose it. First of all, notice it said, whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. We are to do on earth what has been done on hev- in heaven. As in the Lord's prayer. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It isn't we bind something here and therefore it's bound in heaven. No, it is loosed in heaven and therefore it is loosed here. Now I believe and there could be some argument that those keys have already been used. They were used to unlock the door to faith to the Jew. They were used to unlock the door of faith to the Samaritans, and they were used to unlock the door of faith to the Gentiles. In each of those, Peter was there to have a part of it. But it wasn't that we do something here that therefore is required to be done in heaven, it's just the opposite. Then, He warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Every time Jesus tells people not to do something, they do it. Now here we're not told that the disciples run around and start telling people he's the Christ. But there's going to come a time when he's going to tell them to tell people that he is the son of God, the Messiah. The, the one who was foretold of. And that's what we're to do. We are to follow him. To be his disciples. We are to learn of him. We are to be like him. And we are to communicate to this world who he is. One of the most sad things I can think of is for someone to answer this question correctly. Who do you say that I am? And yet does not build their life on the correct answer. It is so depressing to see people who claim they have the right answer, and yet live their lives as if they had no idea who Jesus was. So as we come to this time, I think we need to ask ourselves that question, Who do I say that Jesus is? Notice I say, I don't say who he was. Because Jesus is. And then the next question we should ask ourselves. What difference does it make in my life? Am I just a better version of me? Or am I like him? Am I getting closer to be like Him? Am I following His good teachings? Do I trust what He says? The world tells us that there are many roads to heaven. Just like there were many roads leading to Rome. That's not Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is exclusive. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the resurrection. And if we build our lives on that, it will have an impact today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives. And the answer to this question has an impact on our eternity. So if you've got the answer correct, we can't take any pride in that. It's not that we were smart enough to figure it out. It's not that we were experienced enough to figure it out. It's not that we were born in the right place to figure it out. It's said God the Father revealed it to us. Which is one more reason we need to praise Him. Because He has extended His grace upon our lives. And in response to that grace, we should build our lives on the rock and not on the sand. We should build our lives on that statement of faith. No matter how the wind may blow, no matter how the seas may crash against it, upon that rock, we can stand and even hell itself cannot overwhelm us. And all God's people said,